Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. We are back from our recording break. It is episode 147, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. And that is usually where Tazzy comes in, but uh, Tazzy is having internet issues in an undisclosed location away. So uh, unfortunately, we're, we're restarting, we're resuming uh, the season um, without Tazzy, but she will be back on our next deep dive episode. Um, but I'm here, and as always, we are still bringing you discussions, hopefully interesting discussions with diverse voices, and to help us out today as we venture back into the multiverse it's uh comic artist and animator ryan jenkins ryan welcome back to the show hey thanks for having me yeah um so you were with us on episode 35 all the way back in episode 35 when we were in uh double digits um for spider-man so the last time you're on we we're um, talking about <laughs> spider-man into the spider-verse um and uh you're back here for across the spider-verse so uh thanks for joining us also with us on a double digit past episode is co-founder and director at the line animation wesley lewis well wesley again welcome back to the show thank you for having me yeah so we last spoke with wes when we talked about arcane which is amazing if you haven't seen it like what are you doing go watch it um but yeah that was episode 98 when we were just on the verge of getting to 100 so yeah thanks uh, to you both for joining us so for those listening you can subscribe to story x story wherever you get your podcast from as always you can send us your feedback and questions to studio 77 at myamada.com you can always throw them at us on social media we are at myamada on twitter at myamada tv on instagram and tiktok or at tazzy on all the above and coming soon we are still working away on our Studio 77 membership. So this will be a brand new website where we'll have our video content, our manga content, and also give you special access to My Matter events. That's coming. So we're still working behind the scenes on that. We'll keep people updated. You can join the Discord for free today to be part of the My Matter universe and meet others in the community. And we'll have more on the membership in the coming weeks and months. Before we get to today's story discussions, let's update you with the latest from the My Matter universe. And another project that we are hard at work on is our upcoming Kickstarter, a new manga story. So we have been talking about our Origins uh, story series, which will see each of the real-life My Matter core team turned into an anthropomorphic character. That part's already been done but we're then going to develop stories around them to show how the character got to the My Matter universe. So it's all very meta. We're starting with Tazzy's uh, character for a launch this month as we're recording this in August. So it's almost ready. We are developing the artwork, working on the page, doing the whole Kickstarter thing, working on the video, that whole thing, setting up a preview page for people to check out and then going live. So if uh, you're in our member area in the Discord, we'll put some of the artwork there so you can see like the project image and some of the stuff that we're working on, which is all looking really good. So looking forward to actually being able to share and talk about it uh, in, a, in a more visual way so people can see it. But what you can see right now is our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign. So this is something that we launched uh, last year, we're continuing it this year, and it's a campaign to promote diversity and inclusion 
in the video games industry. It's now a yearly initiative and we're going to be building on the work we did last year, continuing the push for diversity in games culture and wider industry. So this means a new snapshot of 40 plays and makers that we've brought together to showcase the representation that does exist today and hopefully inspire future generations of diverse talent. So you can check that out online, on social media as well. Um, it also means a new schedule of events and we have done a couple of events already so we've been we've been in our own events so we've had our friends and family game design jam we've had our cupcake and gamepad social which is really fun cupcakes always helps but we've also been at other conventions so earlier in the year we're at the london comic-con showcasing the photos doing some panels I've been to develop in Brighton to talk about diversity in narrative design in games, and we've got other things coming. So we're going to be back at the MCM London Comic Con, doing another panel, having another showcase of the 40 players and makers, running some tournaments uh, as well. We've also got a chance to win tickets to London Comic Con. Uh, that's going to be over September. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're following us on socials uh, for a chance at that. And yeah, we've got uh, more events, more activities over the year. So thank you to Rocksteady Studios who are sponsoring the campaign this year. And because of their support, we're able to put on these events for free. So anyone can come and join us. As this episode goes out, we have our roundtable events or so our games industry explained. So that's going to be also in person at Payload Studios, but we'll also be live streaming it. So people can check it out if you weren't able to attend in person so a lot happening go to looklikeagamer.com and uh, yeah get involved in that um you can also make sure you follow us on twitch because every month we have a bunch of live streams and we have different shows that we do as part of the my matter universe so we have our casual conversations with comic creators and you'll depending on when you listen to this you'll be able to catch my conversation with Corey brotherson who talked about his time at the san diego comic-con it was an interesting discussion. I learned a lot from him, mostly how expensive uh, it is. So I need to do some maths if I ever want to uh, get there. But uh, yeah, it was a cool conversation. Highlights are going to be on YouTube if you didn't manage to catch it. Next month, I'll be talking with Shazleen Khan on September the 5th from 7.30 BST. She's an indie comic creator. And again, the idea is to talk about different comic creators, find out about the human behind the art form and uh, yeah, the craft of making comics. And if you are a young person, an aspiring creative professional, or you know one, then check out our showrunners work experience program. So we're making work experience opportunities available for young people age 16 and up to join our team across comic production, video game events, and content creation. So it's a chance to give real world work experience to young people at the start of their journey. You can email us at hello at myomatter.com to find out more. Now you're all caught up with the Maya Matter universe. Let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week. All right, so Tazzy's not here, so I'm going to lead into the spoiler-free discussion about what stories people have been reading, watching, and playing. Because this is the first episode back from our recording break, I've got a bunch of stuff, so I had to be kind of selective in what I picked. But let's start with our guests. So Ryan... Let us know, what have you been enjoying story-wise? Well, story-wise, I've been really enjoying uh, the new, uh, well, I say new run. We're 17 issues into it now, but Batman Superman World's Finest. This is 
Mark Wade writing and Dan Mora drawing, and I've been absolutely on a Dan Mora kick for this last year and a bit, draws classic and modern soups and bats like no one I've seen in a long time. I, I would kind of say he's like the upcoming Jim Lee. Mm, that's high praise. Some some really nice classic looking DC Supos. So happy to praise that and put that on a pedestal. <laughs> so checked out a couple of titles from Image recently, uh, one of which is Ultra Mega, which is James Harron and colors by Dave Stewart. It's a big a kaiju battle thing. It's kind of like uh, Ultraman, but Looper souped up, like really messed up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like almost if you had like a Cowboy Bebop version of Ultraman. Oh, interesting. Really bright, colorful, very dynamic, very like visceral. The manga influence is clearly there, but like this whole Western spectacle element is there as well. It's a really fun read. I've also been checking out Chroma by uh, Lorenzo De Felici. I've only really just started reading that but the the graphics in it are gorgeous of an orphan and a and a young girl who uh, has been in kitty for a long time uh, and she sort of thinks that she's this evil twisted character but she's so it's, it's a little bit of like a uh, imposter syndrome victim thing but really well put together and honorable mention i've, I've picked up the latest volume of Thurington's how to think when you draw which is like if you're getting into comic art and you want to vocabulary, I would definitely check out the How to Think When You Draw series. They're mainly a Kickstarter funded thing, but I'm sure you can get copies from the Etherington Brothers website. It's a set of hardcover books. They're easy to carry around. They're full of really great uh, reference and resources and and tips and tricks for drawing different things. So if a comic artist and you're trying to improve you know, get more backgrounds in there or get better anatomy in there. Yeah. Check out those books. I will have to check that out because we've got, uh, we're doing a workshop program and I'm trying to think of like prizes to give to young kids. Like some are as young as 10, sort of 10 to 13, 14. Perfect. Range. And that sounds like something that will make a good. Lord Etherington, who, who does this book, he worked pretty consistently on the Phoenix comics. Right, there which you go. are targeted straight at that age group. So, yeah. Okay, I'm adding that to the uh, to the list. <laughs> Wes, uh, how about you? Any stories you're enjoying or not enjoying <laughs> that you want to highlight? Uh, well, you had quite an extensive list there, Ryan. Um, <laughs> it's, this year, I've kind of been more revisiting stuff, I suppose, rather than um, watching new things. So I, I recently rewatched Breaking Bad which I really enjoyed because I'm trying to get into kind of character development a little bit more and and writing and what makes like characters compelling. So that was Mm. a good one. I watched them. Yeah. It's a good example. Yeah. It was, it's watching it the second time, time round. There's so many things I didn't pick up the first time round that I picked up on the second time round because I was, I guess, Mm. because I know what happens. It was more like, well, why does it happen? You know, why do characters make certain decisions? And once I started kind of looking into that, it felt so much more enjoyable to watch. So I actually kind of watched okay. it straight after uh, Better Call Saul. So it was kind of like, I watched Better Call Saul and then went back, went back into Breaking Bad, which is really interesting. I watched Train of Busan recently, again. Oh, really, that's really good. Yeah, really incredible film. Like, found the characters really compelling and stuff. And just a lot of things that's quite unexpected as well. 
else? I've been watching um, animation-wise. I've been watching new Superman series. I think it's quite serious and uh, interesting. My Adventures of Superman, just like a new um, animated kind of more anime-esque Superman. Oh, I saw that. It looks really, really good. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really like really nice. It's been done by uh, the same guys who did Legend of Korra and Avatar, so it's got a kind of simpler aesthetic to it. But it's a really interesting take on like the Man of Steel. So yeah, I've been watching that series. I just recently finished watching a, what do you call it? Um, it's the one with Nick Fury, Secret Invasion. <laughs> so I've I've not seen this, but I've I've heard disappointing things, and so disappointing that I was no. Well, I wanted to watch it anyway, but now I want to watch it just to see if it really is as disappointing as people seem. To yeah, it. It, it it felt like it had legs to start with, and then they just do some weird things like the way it ends is very, very strange i don't want to spoil it but it's like i find that's a common thing with marvel tv like marvel tv show and from from at least the disney plus era has kind of been like really phenomenal starting episode decent middle episodes and then like and the, the final episode always ends kind of weekly yeah it and even the things that happen in it you're like what just happened doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you? You know, what I mean, like, I mean, look, yeah. not to. I'm I'm very careful about how I criticize writers and all that kind of stuff because I understand that mm. you know, unlike when I was younger, I, I understand that sometimes a lot of the decisions that are made isn't down to the writers or even the directors. Like yeah. sometimes it's coming from somewhere else, so they get the blame for it. But it's actually a lot of the times not them. Sometimes it is them, but sometimes it is so. Mm. It'd be interesting to know what led to, for each of these shows, what led to certain decisions, you know, how much freedom did the writer have, how much freedom did the director have, or even actors to kind of put their vision across. Like, did they agree with what happened at the end or did they not agree? So, yeah, but, you know, yeah, I I have been quite busy this year, so I haven't been able to watch as much things as I would like, but every time I get a moment, you know, um, I think I played, I mean, this is a year ago, but I replayed, last of us the remake which is so oh, nice always like a, i actually played one and two back to back and because it's like the graphics are like the same and Ooh. had a really good time doing that's heavy that. very <laughs> very heavy but that's, makes, that's not a light story <laughs> no it's not a light story at all but it actually makes again no spoilers but actually you start to kind of the things that happen in last in part two when you mm. play one again you kind of realize like oh actually I, I get a certain character's perspective a lot more playing it back to back and seeing okay. it. Whereas before it was like it. Did you have a maybe I'm the bad guy moment? Yes. <laughs> but there, there was definitely more empathy for everyone involved. Whereas with before it was like, mm. it took a while for me to empathize with, with um, Abby, I suppose. Whereas this one, when I played it again, I'm like, I think when I, when I played the second one, I got her perspective. And when I finished the game, I'm like, I don't like you, but I understand. Whereas when I've replayed it, I'm like, I actually kind of <laughs> like you and I understand. So, yeah. I feel that. I feel that game is such a good example of like using the medium of video games to convey empathy, which video games is the best at because you can literally play and experience the other perspective. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's great. And it, doesn't, and it doesn't do what you want it to do. 
in I think no not at all in fact it does why don't yeah which 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 is actually compelling to me like I think people spoke about again not getting to spoilers but I suppose when you watch Endgame and actually this might be a bit spoilery so let me be careful um (laughs) to say that the way things happen we don't want it to happen that way but actually it makes sense what happens and it's not comfortable and it takes you on a bit of a journey and stuff and it's very very thought-provoking I think um, I guess the minority of people who went crazy <laughs> over the events of it in um, on the internet feel like you kind of miss out if you don't play it through, you know. And I think Naughty Dog's one of those companies yeah. that are like, All right, I don't like what you're doing at the moment. I don't like how I feel, but let me go to the end because you're Naughty Dog and you haven't disappointed me. Yet. And once you actually go to the end, you're like, <laughs> I'm emotional, but I'm not disappointed. You know, like you've 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 given me. And you and it, it, again, it takes courage to kind of tell a story like that. You know what I mean? So no, I agree. I agree because they could have. Yeah, I'm not against spoilers, but they could have. There's an easy, easier, there much easier. Route there were so many easy routes, and they just route. went down yeah. the one that split their fan base and and uh, cheese people off. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but you know, you, you want a story. Let them take you on a journey. Not it might not be the journey that you want, but exactly. you know, stick with them, and they'll take you somewhere where case unexpected and uncomfortable but at least it's like they've been courageous enough to do it and the same with the tv series as well no, like certain episodes and it's like i wasn't expecting that but i'm actually glad that you did it oh god yeah yeah, yeah no it's there's a yeah i like it it's challenging and yeah it's one of my favorite favorite game series yeah but heavy very heavy so um i've got uh i've got a bunch i'm gonna do a few quickly and then talk a bit more about the last two started watching it's always sunny in philadelphia have either of you seen this oh my gosh yes so okay so so i've just started watching this i think i'm like two or three seasons in it's really easy to put in the background and just and just go but the reason i wanted to bring it up i'm struck by from a storytelling perspective at least i don't know how it is in the newer episodes but the characters aren't likable (laughs) like they're very oh not likable 100 (laughs) percent Yeah, yeah, and I know it's by design. It's like, but it's just it's weird to see, and it made me think of. Um, so I, I think back to the office where in the first season of the US office, the first season of the office, uh, Michael Scott was was not a likable character, but then for the second season they changed it because they and they made him more redeemable and more likable, even though he was like the the bad boss and all that. But it was it was funny. He he was a bit more human, but. <laughs> They're not doing that with these characters. These characters, they, they they make the worst decisions at every turn, and they just they're terrible to each other. They're terrible to other people. But it's 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 somewhat compelling to watch. <laughs> I don't quite get it, but it's uh, I think I like it. Thing of like um, a lot of especially American TV. There's this push to make stuff where the, our hero characters have flaws, but there's always like a redeeming quality to them. Whereas these characters mm. are almost irredeemable. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> but the fact that they never succeed at what they're doing is actually what makes us watch it even more. Like they're they're yeah. a bunch of losers. <laughs> but, and I but, think that's uh, what it is. They they do lose, so you there's some satisfaction in watching them lose. It, I think yeah, it's an interesting decision. Yeah. <laughs> what show is this? Um, always sunny Philadelphia. in Philadelphia. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's a weird one. I, I like I say, I think I like it. I think I like it. It's just it's just interesting to see characters that are just by design, like just bad people or just redeemable. And then uh, I also watched Oppenheimer. 
Um, I won't go into too much detail because that's a, I mean, it's it's a three hour film. You can talk about it for three hours, but I found that very compelling. Watched it in IMAX. Yeah, just just very compelling, very interesting to see like this real life character and how that's reflected on screen, what you decide to show, how they, or how Christopher Nolan decided to film and present it. Um, even though it's three hours, it it's cut quite fast in places. And it's, I guess it's a testament to how you make something that is, you know, on the surface, very difficult to understand, just like quantum mechanics and building this atom bomb and uh, discussions around uh, the politics of that, but breaking down into something that for the most part is easy to follow or easier than it would have been had it been in that room and talking about the actual mass behind it. But just for, for the screen, how to take a complex subject and turn it into a compelling uh, story that can be followed by just your average audience. Um, there's more I can say. Is, is uh, I, I thought it was a great film, but I wanted to make that point. And then thought I'd bring up Kazazi Moto, Generation Fire. So recently got to see a special screen of it. Of it. Uh, I know Wes, you were there as well. And I feel like it was a great example of like diverse animation, not just in the, the character or the cultural references, but the style of animation. And we're going to talk about different animation styles. And I feel walking out of that, one of the things that I felt was that as much as I like Pixar, it, we've kind of done the, done the thing of like someone's become very successful with a style and everyone's tried to do that style, forgetting that there are other ways to do animation. And I appreciate seeing so many different styles from different creators from uh, a continent that doesn't always get sort of the spotlight when it comes to, well, when it comes to a lot, but certainly when it comes to animation. And the last one, just like throwing out a bunch here, is Primal, if anyone's seen that. If you haven't, highly recommend it. It's Gendy Tarakowski. Yes. So the creator of yes. Samurai Jack, story about a, well, Neanderthal. But it's the, the key thing about this is there's no dialogue and it's great it's it it has moved me and i'm surprised like the fact that there's no dialogue means you watch it or it means i've watched it in a different way almost more attentive and more attentive to the story and just the emotional beats and the way it it delivers that so i'm on season two uh, i will definitely be bringing this up uh, again but highly recommend it for anyone who's into storytelling uh, just into good stories but into storytelling the way they've told a story without dialogue so Going to bring this up again, but that's my fire hose of things that I am consuming story-wise. And with that, we can get into our main story discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the 2023 animation produced by Columbia and Sony Pictures in association with Marvel Entertainment. So the film is a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we talk about on episode 35 and directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, with screenplay by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and David Callahan. Features the voices of Shamik Moore, Hayley Steinfeld, and many more that we're going to get into. So, spoiler alert, we are at the spoiler portion of the podcast. I will do a recap of the story, but first, let's get everyone's quick take and general impressions. Wes, we'll start with you. What was your, your overall impression of this story? I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I, I was really impressed with how they actually pulled back to certain things in the first one. And it didn't feel like an afterthought as well. And yeah, but I don't want to go into to spoilers, but I think, um, how do I say this without spoiling it? You can do a bit of spoilers. We are now oh, in, we're in the spoilers. Okay, section. cool. 
All right. I mean, I think like, for instance, like universe for 42 thing, the way they called back to that, like, so I didn't even register that, you know, the spider that bit him in the first one was actually from another universe. When you actually go yeah. back and watch it, I thought it was glitching as a kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, some sort of kind of visual effect, like being cool. I didn't actually register it as right. stylistic. Choice, right, exactly. Though. I didn't register it as, oh, this spider is glitching in that way because it's from another universe, which is funny because, you know, all the other Spider-Men from other universes were glitching throughout that film. I didn't actually register that. So when they mm. kind of called it back yeah. in the second <laughs> one, I was like, oh, okay. You know, and there's, there's actually like, if you go online, I think, you know, when he does the first jump in the first one, there's actually like a 42 surrounding him like all the kind of rubble or something it's like there's like the words the numbers 42 around him when he falls in the yeah and there's a 42 there as well and i'm like so they it it felt like the sequel wasn't just let's make a sequel let's just make a sequel because the first one did good it felt like that was the plan all along which is something i liked about it yeah yeah i remember the 42 thing just because it was a it's like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing, yeah. Meaning of Life. But I remembered it for that, not because I... Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the Spider-Man yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, Ryan. Yeah, I think it's supposed to have deeper meaning within the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. But uh, yeah, in terms of the story itself, uh, really good. I mean, it's hard to say definitively because it's part one of two. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that, yeah. I haven't really got a full story to go off of, but but what we mm. did get with with all the twists and turns and and uh, the big sort of action scenes and, and comedy scenes and everything really well put together, really entertaining and and really visually stunning as well. I think that's the thing that everybody's saying, right? Like you'll know how good this one is depending on how the next one ends or starts. Like, yes. so the next one could actually bring down. Oh, this one. Do you know what I mean? It's like a weird <laughs> sort of thing, but like... Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I get that. I get that. It, yeah, and I, <laughs> I tend to agree, actually. I I think I think it's amazing. I think, yes, the story kind of, like what, as you were saying, was is sort of, when the next one comes out, then it's like, you can take it as a whole. Um, before this is, that visually it's incredible. Like, I think, I feel like I've there's stuff it does that I've never seen before, and it'll be interesting to get both your perspectives on it, um, because you guys work in like also in that field, I'm, I'm like a onlooker in that sense. But I really like how it was a sequel. Um, sometimes with sequels, you can get into the trying to do too much and and not enough at the same time and, and falling flat. I didn't feel that. I felt like from the moment it started, I was just captivated. I love seeing Miles as, uh, as Spider-Man. I like seeing his, just his everyday life um, and seeing the teenage struggles of Spider-Man that he's known for from a different cultural perspective really enjoyed seeing that there's things i kind of recognize things i just like seeing as different from peter parker and yeah just the momentum of the story and i'll talk a bit more about that later but the momentum of the story like really captured me up until the end where it's like and we're cutting <laughs> because there's still half the story to go but i really enjoyed this i, I thought it's an incredible feat of animation and i'm just interested to know both your perspectives on how you can put something like this together and how that all works so we'll we'll get into it i'll do a recap of the story for those that need the recap this is a story that takes us to earth 65 where years prior gwen accidentally caused the death of a best friend peter parker and police have been hunting her ever since 
but police captain George Stacy doesn't know his daughter Gwen is Spider-Woman. So one night, Gwen fights a version of the Vulture from an Italian Renaissance-themed alternate universe. Spider-People Miguel O'Hara and Jess Drew arrive and help Gwen neutralize the Vulture. George then corners Gwen, who reveals her identity to him, and he attempts to arrest her, which is really sad. Miguel reluctantly makes Gwen a member of the Spider Society, allowing her to escape with him and Jess. In Brooklyn, on Earth 1610, Miles Morales encounters the Spot, an Alchemax scientist whose body was infused with portals after the Collider explosion. The Spot blames Miles for causing his condition, and during their fight, he accidentally transports himself into a void where he travels to other universes containing Alchemax colliders to empower himself further. Meanwhile, Gwen travels to Earth 1610 and reconnects with Miles while secretly tracking the Spot. Miles secretly follows her through a portal to Earth 50101 and they team up with Spider-Man Pavitra Pabraka or Spider-Man India, which I might go with from now. And later, Hobie Brown, the guy she tells you not to worry about, against the Spot. The Spot and Miles share a vision of the Spot's future, attacks that include the deaths of Police Inspector Singh and Miles' father, Jeff. Miles saves Singh, but Earth 50101 begins falling apart from its disrupted cannon event before members of the Spider Society arrive to contain the damage. Miles, Gwen and Hobie are sent to the Society's headquarters on Earth 928, where hundreds of spider people reside in a massive complex. Miles, Gwen and Hobie meet Miguel and Peter B. Parker with his daughter, May. Miguel explains that each of the spider people's stories entails canon events and straying from these events may cause the universe to collapse. So Miles realizes that the spot murdering his soon-to-be captain dad, Jeff, is a canon event. Miles imprisons, Miguel imprisons Miles to prevent him from saving Jeff, but Hobie helps Miles break loose before Miguel orders the Spider Society to capture him again. Miguel later corners Miles and tells him that Miles was never supposed to become Spider-Man and that the anomaly that caused the death of Earth 1610's Peter Parker. Miles overpowers Miguel and flees to what he believes to be his home dimension. A furious Miguel ejects Gwen from the society and sends her to Earth 65. Once there, Gwen reconciles with George, who has resigned from his job as police captain. But Miles soon realizes that he is on the wrong Earth, and in his world, Uncle Aaron is alive while Jeff is dead. As the Spider Society searches for Miles, Gwen travels to Earth 1610 and speaks with Miles' parents, promising to find him and bring him home. Aaron, meanwhile, restrains Miles, and it is revealed Earth 42's Miles has become the Prowler. As the Spot begins his multiversal attack, Gwen assembles a team to find Miles, consisting of Peter B. Parker, May, Vivitra, Hobie, Margot, Hess, Spider-Man Noir, Penny Parker, and Spider-Ham, while Miles prepares to escape. The middle? Not quite the end, the middle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, like we say, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a feat, and this is... I feel this is a, a vision without compromise. It has a, a film with a hundred million dollar budget and it, I mean, it made its money back. So at a time of recordings, like way past the $600 million mark at the global box office. Whereas from your perspective, because you also make animation, you make really good quality animation with a budget this large. It Well, first of all, is this a, this is a large budget, right? Is this a, the largest budget or how does it rank in terms of animation budget do you know and and where does that money go on an animation project versus like live action i mean 
Yeah, that's a difficult question. I suppose, I mean, I've never worked on a feature before, so I've never really dealt with those kind of budgets. Mm. I tend to deal with a lot smaller budget, but then we do smaller projects as well. <laughs> um, I think it is probably quite a large mm. budget, but I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know what to compare it to. I think a lot of the budget would, I mean, obviously you've got like lots of R&D going on, so developing those styles, people trying things out, trying it again. I know they probably spent a lot of time you're you're getting 3d to try and emulate things that are typically 2d but then you would also a lot of that stuff would be a lot of the kind of 2d stuff that you'd see would be like a frame by frame thing as well so it's like a mixture of both things and i guess yeah writing the story and rewriting parts of the story that don't work a lot of money can go towards that as well so i don't want to speak too much because like i said i haven't worked on a feature film i've worked on a feature film but mm. not in having kind of eyes on like how much money you spent and you know that kind of thing so so yeah but I, I do think it would be quite a big budget especially because of how well um the other film done uh, uh the previous film did yeah no and i didn't think of the, like the r&d side of it well so yeah yeah and, and especially this for... film i mean I keep hearing that um the like talking about the r&d stuff that uh it took something like three years just to figure out how to animate uh hobie yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because he's switching between styles. I mean, at least with every other character, they've got their kind of one style, and that's like kind of that. It, it, it more or less remains consistent throughout the film. I mean, it probably might change slightly when they go to different universities, but to recognize it, whereas Hobie's just constantly changing. And how they made that work is, I mean, it shouldn't work. Like you know, you're you've got this character that's changing constantly, no. <laughs> but it works and it's appealing and. You know, you know what he looks like, and he's he's a lot of people's favorite character. I think, um, yeah, it's like I think the R and D. If you think about the first one, I I suppose a lot of R and D went into that, and I know Robert Tomiogo, who you know, who was, I think he was on the project initially as as art director. I think he established a lot of that kind of style and look at the beginning, and I think this film it feels like they just built upon that. You know, so they didn't just kind of was done mm. the first one they took it and they just amplified it and took it. it it felt like they took it everywhere that's one of the things about this film as a sequel compared to the original they they only really had to figure out a visual language for one universe yes and this time around they're figuring out like first 50101 then and all these other places and you know it's each one and each character from these universes is going to have a slightly different twist on what that hand-drawn style right. looks and like. And then the multiple characters within the Spiders... Um, is this Spider Society? Yeah, you've got multiple characters with multiple yes. styles within that, which is just insane to me. It's a lot It's a lot of work. Background. A lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I, I feel that... I guess that kind of led to the, to the decision to split the uh, one... what was going to be one film into two. So this was intended to be one sequel... Um, but in December 2021, the producers confirmed it would be split into two because just the work had grown so large. And when you see this, you kind of you understand. So we're we're now getting two. So Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is out, and Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, which was set to come out next year, uh, 2024 in March. But I feel that's that's now been delayed. And then you've got the whole writers and actors strike. So. Who knows? It's a, I think it's like a. I think it's literally like a question mark. Is is there's no 
update on that. So yeah, that's going to be a, a long wait. But I mean, we can talk more about the story itself. The I guess the half of the story we got. It's so we're back to the multiverse, and I feel maybe it was this film that sparked the whole multiverse thing because in between the time we've had a lot of multiverse stories but i feel this does it really well it doesn't just use it as a surface level thing it weaves in the multiverse for the themes um so it's not just a cosmetic thing so we've got this whole idea of miles is now spider-man but there's a conflict between him wanting to be free and wanting to be spider-man and him being a kid where his parents want you know, his safety, they want the best for him. They want to, I guess, exert some control over him as, as parents want to do. And it's explored through the multiverse. So I really like, I'm jumping ahead into the film, but I really like the scene between him and his mum where she's telling him like, you know, not everyone is for you and just like, be careful. And then he learns in a different universe how true that is that not everyone is is for you but you deserve to be here and you deserve to have your place what do you think about the i guess the way the the multiverse concept is handled in this film could i compare to uh, maybe other marvel things or just in general at least from from the perspective we've had so far that this film is sort of built around the idea of that multiverse storytelling like the, the whole spider-verse franchise is that Whereas a lot of the other shows and, and TV, well, TV and film stuff that we've got about different multiverse stuff, uh, aside from this, has been like the multiverse aspects, but an afterthought to sort of spice up the the genre or whatever. Looking at you, Flash. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's um, it, there's more of a direct line to the multiverse as part of the storytelling. Like it, you can't tell this story without there being a multiverse aspect, I think it's stronger for it. Yeah, I think it's, um, I agree with what Ryan's saying. And I think it, it doesn't feel like it just, um, I think the two multiverse, multiversal films that have come out is this and, uh, now it's just, it's just completely gone out of my mind. Um, everything everywhere all at once. That's the one, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had another film in my head when I was saying it. Um, yeah. So I think that it really does play around with the multiverse in, in a way that it makes it feel more interesting, you know. I was I was actually expecting Doctor Strange to do that. It kind of did it, but it kind of like just went to one place and then kind of stopped the multiversal thing. And I felt like I thought it was going to play around with the multiverse yeah. way more. And I feel like I thought we were going to be hopping from universe to universe. That one shot that they use in the trailer. Yeah, and it, it, it did that. That one and shot it, they use in the trailer where they're, they're sort of splashing through the different universes. That was the most interesting part of the film. Yeah, then you kind of get to this place where it's like, <laughs> all right, we see Xavier and all these guys, and then it, it it doesn't really go anywhere from there. So it kind of felt like, felt a bit cheated by it. Was when, I, when I saw everything everywhere all at once, I was like, oh, this feels really multiversal. And then Spider-Man, like, you know, even, yeah, in the Across the Spider-Verse, you're going to like a Lego land and you're going to like live action and you're going to, it just felt like it had a bit more, bit more fun with it. And it wasn't, yeah. it's, it's, it's a strange film in that it takes itself seriously while not taking itself seriously at the same time. You know, it's, it's dealing with themes of like, you know, loss and, and death and him, you know, having to come to terms with him losing his uncle and possibly losing his dad while having fun at the same time. I, I don't know how you do that, but it's quite, Clever, you know what I mean? 
good balance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I like how they've they've balanced it and then they've also connected it to like it's like the universal Spider Man thing is like him navigating growing up as well as being Spider Man and they've extended that across the multiverse. So it's this whole thing about him finding his place and yeah, it's used to good effect in the multiverse of like him literally being or at least being told he's out of place and he's not supposed to be here and, and him having to go like, no, I am supposed to be here. So yeah, I just like how they've, they've weaved the multiverse into, yeah, into the narrative, into the story and, and explored it in an interesting way with different characters as well. Cause we get Miles, we get Gwen uh, as well. And both of them, I feel have this whole struggling to be your, your whole self thing going on. And are at different stages of that. So you know, there's a superhero thing about, you know, wearing a mask to protect your identity, not wanting to share that and fearing the consequences of sharing that. And then we see the those two characters at different stages of that consideration. So, and even with another thing that struck me is this, like the way it, it opens, because it opens with a, a whole, essentially like a whole sequence of Gwen's story and Gwen's introduction. And then... With Ooh. that, you know, they do the recap, like, you know, let's do this one more time. This is how, uh, this is who I am. They did that. And it's a whole, it's a long sequence. A good, I don't know how long it was, but it's a good, like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And then it sort of resets. How did you both feel about that? Like feeling or getting so much of Gwen's story at the beginning in what was like a really good, like well animated. I mean, the whole thing is well animated, but just Gwen's universe is this like pastel colors and different kind of style. And then sort of resetting, and now we're with Miles, and now we continue. Was that uh, was that jarring for you, or did you appreciate like getting Gwen's perspective on things? I I liked it. I've heard I've heard a couple of people complain about the beginning how it's like focused on Gwen too much, but I, I'm like you know if you look if you look at it like in context, huh. I mean if this is like the first first part of the sequel, actually that's relatively a small amount of of screen time for her, I suppose. I, I, it didn't bother me, and it was. Seeing you know that universe, seeing how she is, I was I was actually fine with it. I didn't I didn't have a problem with it being too long or you know focusing on her too much. I think it just gave her a lot more context, and you understand a bit more about her why she is the way she is. I also find it interesting. I mean, to the point of like these characters being at different stages of like wanting to talk about their secret identity and, and open up to people. I do like the fact that it's not that that old mm. trope of like. I keep my identity because if I tell anyone, my loved ones will get hurt. It's not, if they don't really do that. I know um, Invincible kind of made fun of that premise as well. <laughs> so I do like the fact that he's literally, he wants to tell, he, he really yeah. does want to tell his parents and the people around him, but he's scared that they'll treat him differently and, you know, and they won't feel the same about him and what have you. So I do like that aspect of it. And like I said, seeing when go through that stage and even her, saying to him like don't tell your parents about what you do kind of thing because they won't accept it etc but she's just basing she's just projecting her own kind of experiences onto you know and even then by the end of the film actually the father does accept her and does accept her for who she is like he 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 admits that he got it wrong it's like you know so yeah I, i found it really interesting yeah i dug it too i thought um yeah like you're saying this is a a two-part film so the percentage of like character development stuff is going to be larger but i also feel like so in into the spider-verse it's very much a story about miles and about his relationship with peter parker 
and okay. it, yeah. you know, it's that father-son dynamic. Yeah. In this film, Miles is sharing the screen with Gwen. It's as much Gwen's story as it is Miles's. See her sort of helming this group of misfit Spider-Men to try and save Miles at the end of the film. I think that's sort of where we're leading to into Across the Spider-Verse of, of her going from this character that we knew relatively very little about to someone who, okay, now we're not just understanding like her in this slightly more leadership role, but we're understanding why she makes the decisions she does, what sort of personality she has outside of being a spider. Yeah, and when I first watched, well, actually, I've only seen it once. I need to see it <laughs> again. I, I thought I would by the time we recorded. But so when I watch it again, I'm just taking in that, that first intro because when I first watched it, I really enjoyed it and I just like visually I liked it and I liked to get more of like Gwen's perspective and her, her motivation. But from a narrative perspective, I don't know where I've, I read this somewhere, some where I picked this up where from a momentum perspective, you're kind of, you don't want to reset or it not, you don't want to do it because there's no one way to make a story, but there's a danger of like introducing and then resetting but there are good ways to do it. Like, and it made me think a bit of Up, if you've seen that, where you have that, you know, like the famous sort of 10-minute monologue that gives you all the emotional beats of a full story and then resets. But in doing that monologue, it gives you all the motivation for the character. So when I was thinking about it for Spider-Man, is like having Gwen's perspective at the beginning, it kind of it shows you what Miles is afraid of. And I feel that's the way, like... Because you've got like dual protagonists here, and and I feel that's the purpose of it. Where Gwen is the the cautionary tale, like the, the ghost of Christmas future for Miles. So Miles is thinking, oh, I want to tell people, but I'm afraid of what could happen. And and like you said, where's how the relationships will change? And Gwen is like the oh, this is what this is the worst that can happen, and I'm and I'm going for it. So it it serves that purpose as well as letting us know more about. Gwen. so i i really liked it and again visually just incredible yeah so i i kind of like looked at it differently on reflection like how well it was used and then it yeah just sets the tone for the rest that's to come so we kind of we touched on it and i will come back to this this idea of, of half a film did you both know that going into it um i don't think i knew that it was going to be like that okay I didn't know, like, in terms of how much of a film we were going to get, like whether some trilogies, you can tell that it's a trilogy, but it still has a sort of beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Beginning, middle, more middle. <laughs> yeah, yes. Which, you know, makes sense, but... It's interesting, because I feel like they didn't quite communicate that properly. I knew, and I don't know how... I knew very clearly that this was half... Oh, we're getting half a story. I'm not sure why... I knew that so clearly because usually I I don't look at like trailers. I, I don't even think I saw a trailer for this film at all. I, I, but once I knew it was out and they had a date, like I don't want to see anything because I'm going to see it. So let me just take it in. So I avoided a lot of this. But for whatever reason, I, I was very clear. I knew that this was half a film. So I went in with that expectation. But just some of the reaction I've seen afterwards and talking to different people, I thought it didn't communicate that very well a lot of people didn't know that this was a part one of two i mean yes it's the sequel to the into the spider-verse but into the spider-verse was a self-contained story this is not a self-contained story but they did not communicate that well 
which is weird. And again, I don't know how I knew that when I tried to avoid so much. Now, having seen part one, because it's not that you can't do that. It's not that you can't split. And we've seen it in, in many instances, but the challenge is like resolving enough by the end of the film. So by the end of the film, like Ryan, how do you, how well do you think they've, they've balanced that? Do you feel that enough was resolved by the end or did you feel like, ah, I feel let down by this? Don't feel let down. I, I, I mean, it's, I mean, some stuff gets resolved, but it's also setting up a bigger piece for the next film. Mm. We're essentially getting the um, the first and second act, and the whole third film is going to be a third act. I guess, like, Wes, did you feel, yeah, did you feel any, any way about, like, where they left it? Because they left it on quite a cliffhanger. Um, I don't know if I've ever watched an animated movie in the cinema that's ever done that before. So I liked the fact that it's being treated like a film. I mean, mm, it's yeah. very animated. I mean, it's probably the most, you know, it's got every single style imaginable in it. But I still like the fact that it didn't end with like a little pretty bow in it. Like, it, it, like I, think, I think the first movie I saw that did that was Empire Strikes Back. The only thing I would say is that I don't know if, I don't know if the same sort of thing happens with Empire Strikes Back where it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. I don't know. Maybe not a cliffhanger. It, it kind of, the way it ends, it feels like it ends like the Empire's one, right? I don't know if, if I accept it more because I watched it as a kid and I didn't understand exactly right. what was going on. And as I got older, I understood it. But I was expecting that kind of ending. Whereas with this, I feel like I I I, I wasn't expecting it to end. It's only because of the way that, the way the film was going. I'm like, all right. The way this is going and the pacing of it, it doesn't feel like this is going to go on for a, It doesn't feel like whatever's going on is going to resolve. For it to resolve, you'd need like an, another hour. Mm. So that told me that there was going to be some sort of a sequel. Okay, so you were getting just a sense of it. Yeah, I got a sense of it from the way it was paced. Because I thought if they try to resolve this now, this is right. going to be really poorly paced and it won't feel good. And But the other thing that, and maybe this is like my fault, but the trailers, you know, like certain things don't happen. So like in the trailer, for instance, like the 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 bit where he's like, you know, nah, I'm going to find my own, I can't remember what he says, I can't quote him verbatim, but it's like, I'm going to do things my way sort of thing. I wish they don't, I, 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 I wish they didn't put things like that in the trailer because it's like, okay, you're watching it, all right, halfway through, like hasn't happened yet. Two thirds of the way through hasn't happened yet. Then it happens at the end. Right, so then you, now you're thinking, right, this is like a right. climactic moment. Whereas if yet. it happened yeah. earlier in the film, you're like, oh, more is going to happen. So I think when you don't see certain things happen, that's in the trailer that doesn't happen. That starts to change, like you know, the pacing in your mind. And I almost wish I did. Like, why are you taking like a climactic moment mm. and putting it right? Yeah, it's just it's almost like spoiler territory in, in terms of pacing. Yeah, and it's getting it's getting really annoying. I feel a lot of trailers do that. I almost prefer like I almost prefer like and Marvel's started doing this a lot more recently or recently in the last five years, where they put red herring moments in the trailers, where like think about Infinity War, where they had that one shot of all the Avengers running in the green of Wakanda and Hulk is there, 
Yes. We all know Hulk doesn't show up in Infinity War. Yeah, I would prefer I would prefer that, but it's frustrating because sometimes there's a red herring and sometimes it's not. So like in a Thor Ragnarok. In fact, I stopped watching trailers for a long while. That's why I am now. <laughs> because of that the trailer of that film. Yeah, where, where Molnir gets destroyed and you're like, wait, I've been watching this for how many how many years? Why would you show that in a trailer? Oh God, yeah. And it's, I, so when I watched it, I was robbed of that. Mo- I felt like I was robbed of that yeah. moment. It's like <laughs> Monia is supposed to be indestructible, as far as we know. Up until that point in the story, nothing can destroy Monia. Um, Who's the only person that can pick it up? Etc. 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 It's like it's almost as bad as if they showed Captain America picking up the hammer in a trailer. Oh no! If you lost that moment. It's, it's almost that bad. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So it's like, you're not supposed to be able to do that to Monia. And here's this woman, this, yeah, his exactly. sister, like Hela, who's come from nowhere. And not only does she stop it, she crushes it with one hand. That's like, why would you put that in the trailer? You know what I mean? So I think like, and I know the, the, the directors and, you know, whoever's made the movie, it's not, I don't think it's them that kind of put the trailer cut together. They No, it's like a different department. Yeah, different department or even a different company. And I, I get it. It's that kind of, oh my God, like I need to know what, but when I go to the cinema, like I'm already invested in Thor, you don't, we're already invested in these characters. So you don't have to kind of put these spoilers into, to, to bring us in. I feel like me and my brother talk about this a lot. Like um, even with the matrix, for instance, like the marketing and the branding for that. I think Tarantino actually talks about it as well on YouTube, where it's like, this has n- this, the, the marketing for The Matrix, the first one, but everybody's so hyped and it didn't show anything. It was just like, what's that tagline? Yeah, you need to, if you want to know what The Matrix is, you have to come and see it for yourself. You just go on the journey. So it's almost like that. they used that in the trailer as a tagline, but it didn't show any, it showed maybe like a couple of cuts of stuff, but it's like, what is this? <laughs> you know, what, like, you know, it's, it was a complete mystery. And up until about halfway through the film when, Morpheus finally explains what the Matrix is. You're still like in the dark. You know what I mean? And I feel like with these trailers, again, because I'm watching, I see the trailer and I see uh, Miles and on top of this train. I'm like, now I'm watching the movie. Oh, this doesn't happen yet. So this has to be at the end of the film. And it's kind of like, it kind of takes away that immersion a bit. And it kind of, and that's why I say it's a little bit my fault for even watching the trailer. But I'm like, <laughs> that's why I didn't watch them. <laughs> right. But then I, I think, I feel like this is, it's kind of, you want it, you want to watch a piece of the trailer to get you excited about at the most, but you don't want it to take away those kind of those moments and to kind of now you're starting to count the pacing. I, agree. I mean, like I'm like, all right, it takes a, you out of it. Yeah, it does, and I, I wish it takes you out of it. Yeah. they they would they wouldn't do that. I want what I. It's hard for me not to watch a trailer for animation because the mm. art form itself, Drake. I can do it for a live action film, but for animation, it's very, very difficult because it's like, yeah. <laughs> I want to see how yeah. sick this film is going to look. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's it's me studying. It's like, you know, the the kind of animator in me that's like looking at my, you know, yeah. oh my God, I want to see what this is going to look like. So I just wish they wouldn't put things like that in trailers. That's my rant over. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that, I feel that. So, I mean... <clears throat> So, like, looking at the like the animation, which is so well tied to the, the narrative, and we just have to talk about the visuals, obviously, and this just being like I, I've said this already, but I I feel like there's things in this that I've just not seen ever before, or things that I do where, like, I've seen different animation styles, 
but I'm I feel like I'm seeing different animation styles in the same shot. And I'm, has that has that been done before? Like not even I mean Hobie's his own kind of thing, but just different animation styles in the same shot and and just things going. I mean, that's, the that's only amazing. example I can think of that does that is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah! Oh, there's a throwback. Done That's a really good point. Back in the late '80s, yeah. This is like the closest comparison I can draw, but yeah, mm. I mean, before they they set yeah, and, this bar when they did the uh, original into the Spider Verse, mm. where they just exceeded it. That two D on three D look we had never seen before done that well. Yeah, we naturally had to amp that up to eleven. <laughs> to outdo themselves because you know how else are you gonna do such a monumental win it's mad and i i put in my notes uh this this (laughs) this feels like the the steph curry of animation and i don't know if either of you are into (laughs) basketball at all but uh steph curry is a point guard for the golden state warriors and before uh games he'd like practice and he'd be dribbling like two balls at once now you don't need to be a basketball expert to to know that you only need one basketball to to play the game. <laughs> but he's just so good that he's I'm just going to dribble with two, and that's what it feels like they're doing in this film. You only need one animation style, but these guys are so good that they're going to play with like three or four animation styles in the same piece just because they they can. And I'm just looking at it, so just like amazed because we go from like uh, Gwen's intro to which is like pastel colors. We've, we've talked about Hobie, which is uh, like this kind of mashup of, I guess like a mashup of punk. It's got this punk rock punk style. Collage thing. Uh, mashup of different collage, that's the word. for. And then you see um, Pavitra, the uh, Spider-Man India, like pencil drawn style, which kind of links back to Indian comic art. It's just that like, was my personal favorite. It was just gorgeous. <laughs> so so good and, and where they've excelled from the first one is that in the first uh first uh, film you had different characters animated but largely in the same universe whereas here we're now seeing different universes and what i really like about this is that there's a good like cultural link um to them like with uh, mm. spider-man india like with uh hobie and his sort of pop art collage thing going with this like you know punk rock london thing and it just it just all comes together and i think where you you said a phrase where like it shouldn't work and it shouldn't work but it does and it does really well no i was gonna say yeah it shouldn't normally those things tend to work in like shorter pieces but to kind of again do that in a feature film is very very um i think it's very very bold to do that i was gonna say um as well like with the stars again having so many stars you 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 you, te- you you you're more likely to see that in things like like a short film or something or something a bit more experimental. You don't really tend to see kind of experimental art or something that feels experimental in like big yeah Hollywood uh, feature films. The only thing I can think of that had multiple stars that's coming to my head right now was a TV series, uh, Amazing World of Gumball. So that had a lot of different styles in it by you know you know photo bashing and. Um, you know, you've got this kind of cell that. 2D uh, flash animation and you've got like 3D animation and all these characters sit in the same world. Like It's crazy, that show. So I think that's the only one I can think of. The only one I could think of was um, 
the Netflix series Love, Death, and Robots. Yes. But that itself is like mm. a bunch of separate shorts yeah. that are all very experimental and different. So they all look like different universes, separate teams, separate uh, nationalities. So from an animation standpoint, absolutely gorgeous. But what Spider-Verse has done is taken all of those and sort of smushed them together into <laughs> one sandwich. One. I mean, it looks... It, I've got mixed feelings about it. It looks incredible. It's also very frustrating because it's like, I remember when he was, um, I was, I was directing something uh, um, for the line just when that came out, and there was something I wanted to do in the thing that I was directing, and then wait, love different robots or spider into the Spider Verse? No, um, Spider Verse. When yeah, so when it came out, so I was doing a project for Azuki actually, and there was something that I was doing or toying around with, and when Spider Verse, when the second Spider Verse came out. I'm like, no, scrap that. We're not doing that because it's in Spider-Verse. And I think it's, it, it covers so many styles. Like, it's, it covers every single kind of style you can think of, almost. It's almost like you do something now and then people will be like, oh, you just got that from Spider-Verse. It's like, no, yeah, like, yeah, I, these <laughs> styles existed. These styles existed before Spider-Verse. It's just that they've managed to take it and put it in a, in a really appealing way made it popular so now people think yes it, it worries me that everything that comes out after that yeah so everyone everything that comes out after that i said like, oh that's from spider-verse it's like no it's not like you know what i mean it's not i, I did this myself <laughs> speaking from an animation perspective it's like when you think of like someone who's working on a feature film for a big animated studio you're boxed into a house style you have to draw mickey a certain way mm. whereas here you've got all these different artists animators uh, uh modelers putting together their own version of spider-man for a background shot or, or a prop that's going into a scene or whatever so there's so much more expression that can happen no, absolutely within this really diverse group of people behind the scenes i'm still amazed that this film even exists you know and i and i and I'm so happy that Spider Verse, because a lot of the times, like I mean, we even talk about this at the studio. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, and I think every one is kind of guilty of this. Even we are to some extent, where you do a bit of concept art, and the concept art looks amazing, and it's like, right, this is it. But then as you go down the pipeline, the concept art just be informs, you know, I guess what everybody's used to. You know what I mean? So I think when you look at Pixar. Yeah, it gets this, and it's not. Yeah, it's not that right, and it's not that the, the the final result is bad. It's just that it doesn't. It's not the same thing that you start with, and it feels like Spider Verse feels like a moving piece of concept art. Like I could imagine. In fact, even when I, I've got the book for it, actually, and when you look at some of the early kind of visuals and stuff, and then later visuals, and like right, they they manage to kind of keep the energy in their concept art to the final kind of production, which is rare, and it's actually quite. I like the fact that this film is letting people know that actually you have permission to do this. You don't have to do something that's super, super rendered and, you know, kind of got this, all this kind of volumetrics and super 3D. You can actually like keep quite close, close to something that's quite sketchy or quite loose or quite free, you know? And I'm glad, in fact, Sony, I would say, when I think about Sony's films, their animated films, like, even from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, when that film came out, I don't think anybody was doing anything like that, where it was like this kind of rubber hosey sort of thing yeah. done with 3D, like had a really appealing style. And Sony's really, really, really pushing that, you know? 
um, if you think about uh, my, uh, is it uh, Michelle, the Michelles and the Machines or something? I can't remember the, the name of it. Mitchells and the Machines, yeah. Yeah, but I think that's oh, a Sony Netflix. film as well. And that's, that's got like a really yeah. unique style. And I think it's like pushing other studios to do the same thing like with uh, Puss in Boots and the new teen, uh, Ninja Turtles film, whereas people are like, oh, we don't have to do this. All spiral that of style. Can, Like though. it can literally look... Yeah, exactly. It all came from that. Yeah, and I think it's like having that the it's giving people the courage to like all right because the technology is so good now it's like you can you can make anything look like anything now you know what i mean it can look super rendered and you can get like super james cameron in it or you can get a bit picasso in it do you know what i mean and both of these things can work you know mm-hmm. thing i like about that is like with with say dreamworks animation or whatever like you were saying you take the concept art and you water it down into something that's actually more manageable for any animator to work with like creating a, a much more render friendly rig whereas here they've gone look that looks really cool we're going to spend the extra time and money that it takes to make that work on screen and out of that you get characters like spider punk who are mind-numbingly difficult for the animators to put together <laughs> but <laughs> but when you get them on screen and, and all that energy is conveyed character design and through the animation style Definitely. All that extra energy and work is, is worth it, and it translates. Oh, sure. And um, I also don't forget the music, because the music is is great. And I knew this was going to be a great film when I saw, I think there was an opening scene, um, and I'm I'm holding in my hand an old album that I've got from um, Rakim, album The 18th Letter. And when I heard a uh, track, I think it's track number eight, Guess Who's Back playing? in the New York sort of background in this film of like, yep, these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> this is through, it took me back to like, uh, I have an actual CD of this album and it just had a throwback moment of listening to that track on screen. Like they, they perfectly captured New York with this song selection. Listen, I fully trust <laughs> the creative minds behind this. Um, and then I played that song when I left the theater afterwards. So I lost my mind played uh uh notorious uh like big i was like and it wasn't just and it made sense the way they do it it wasn't just we're being cool it's like all right he's <laughs> uncle to my age like 30s early 40s or something and it's like yeah that's what he would be listening to because when he was 20 that's probably what he was listening to like tupac and you know what i mean and so it made sense it wasn't just like you know miles at the beginning when he's like you know, humming, I can't mm. remember the name of the artist, but he's humming the song at the beginning when he's drawing and like, you know, the flower song. That's more from his era. But then when his uncles listen to stuff, it's more from his era. So even when you meet him in um, Universe 42, oh. the music that's playing, it's like, yeah, yeah, his uncle would probably be listening to that. Like, Miles would probably, if, if Miles started listening to that stuff, it's not because of his school friends. It's like his uncle or his dad is like, oh, look, listen, kid, you don't know about music. Listen to this. This what we used to do. You know what I mean? And it felt, without even them saying it, it felt like that. And I thought, oh, that is so, it's so well observed. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, I love stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. No, I, I like totally get it. It's just like different ways of approaching it from a storytelling point of view. Oh, 100%. Because yeah. it fits, like you say. And again, another thing about the film that I read, sorry if I'm diverting from your talking points a little bit, no, but it's, it's cool. even, the, even the diversity aspect, that film is very, very, very diverse. Very bring this up. Yeah, but you don't you don't register it because it's not they're not 
it's it's almost secondary to the story. You know what I mean, and it, it feels natural. They're not calling attention yes. to it. No, it's just it's just a given. No, I'm glad you brought it up because I feel this is like, I mean, there's different ways to do it. And on the podcast, we talk about diversity and in, in, in some of the projects that we do. There's a time and place where you need to sort of on the nose talk about diversity and the value of it. And, and I recognize that. But I think there's also yes. sometimes when you're making animation or, or anything but animation where you can you can be too focused on it. And I know that sounds weird for, uh, for me to say, but at the expense of the story, whereas I feel this does it the right way where it, it allows what I presume is a diverse team or at least diverse sources to influence the story. So you get things like just Miles and the relationship between Miles and his, his parents, like that feels like someone understood that understands that culture and has brought that relationship into it the the music but even the different spider verses where like i mentioned spider-man uh india yeah you get that feels like because even in some of the dialogue it was talking like like chai tea is like you don't say chai tea that's oh, like saying tt and that got me man <laughs> like, okay i i didn't know that <laughs> i learned something there no i mean that's that's the same like i'm i'm half persian so we have the same sort of thing we say chai for tea so it's yeah, oh. that, that made me <laughs> laugh my ass off. <laughs> yeah, things like that is like yeah. you you want that to influence the decision making so that you it brings you something different versus hey look we have the white character we have the black character we have the Asian character look how diverse we are you don't you don't necessarily need that you just want it to to naturally influence but to do that and this is where it is like the value of talking about diversity to do that you need to make effort to bring in different people into the process or have your team go to different places like i imagine i mean they've got a massive budget budget i imagine someone must have gone to india and then spoken to someone uh spoken to people taking photos or whatever you do and then you've got a, something that feels different something that feels good and still universal there are still universal themes about growing up and finding your place in the universe and, and that can apply to anyone so yeah no it's, i think it's a, a great way to do it I think that's exactly it. When you have people on the team that come from those cultures or understand those cultures, you f you feel it, and and you don't need to make a point of, hey, look how diverse this film is. You know what I mean? Like you, because mm. you're there for the stories. Yeah. Like I, I think the moment I'm watching a film and I can hear the writer's opinion, obviously, like you know, you can't completely remove yourself from the film. You've got a point of view and you put it in. But I think the moment I I'm I can't hear the characters. And I can hear the the writers behind it, or what they're trying to say, what they're trying to push. It, it just it it just takes me it just takes me out of it. And I, I, I you're right. It's like mm. I think it's like I think Matt Damon spoke about this, and even Denzel Washington having like you know like Denzel Washington gives the the example of uh, Schindler's List, for instance. Maybe Martin Scorsese could have done that film, but he would not have done it the same way as Steven Spielberg because of you know the Jewish background and stuff. And he's like you know when you talk about in the black culture where we understand things like the hot comb, like when we were younger and like, you know, how they have to get the, the smell of it and all that kind of stuff. He said, that's a cultural thing. And in order to do that, you need to have someone that understands it. And I think sometimes, and, and it feels like everyone who made that film and who's developing those characters, yeah. they either have people from those backgrounds that, that are doing it or, or those people themselves understand or have been around those cultures. So they understand how to kind of give it you know, what you call truth, like authenticity to what you're seeing on screen. And it feels like it, you know what I mean? Everything that Miles does, the way he dresses, the way he moves, 
it feels like it, the way his dad talks and stuff. Yeah. Even though I'm not, you know, half, I guess, what, he's, is he half Brazilian? So Puerto Rican. Is it? Yeah, Puerto Rican. Even though I, I'm not that, I'm like, my mum, like, you know, being Caribbean, I'm like, I've seen my mum do stuff like that, or my aunts, or my, yeah. or my dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, it's not the same, but it's like, you recognize you, it. Yeah, you, you recognize it. There's something familiar about the way they're, they're doing something. And I think, I think it's, I think without beating, without like, you know, drumming it and, and making it the focal point of the story, I think Arcane did that really well uh, as well. Like, it wasn't, we had very, very strong female characters in that thing without, saying hey this is arcane and it's led by strong females like no it's like that's not you know that's you know that it's a boring way of looking at life to me it's like all right this person what's their story and they just happen to be you know a black person going through it or a female going through it or whatever do you know what i mean and i think character as opposed to just being a sort of tokenism yes yeah like i i think um like i again i don't like criticizing films but I had a massive problem with the new Little Mermaid for that, where it was like, what was it like? A hey, look, we've got a black woman in in the role. Is it one of those? Or that's what it that's what it felt like. I mean, I mean, someone made a good point of like, look, when kids watch these things, they don't pick up on those nuances like we do. They just watch it and it's like, oh my god, it's Ariel. Do you know what I mean? So, and I think it's a valid point. Yeah, and that's the value. There is a value of that. Yeah, there is absolutely. I work with enough like young people that there is a value in that. Right. So it's a, it's a, so it's not like me saying it shouldn't be done, but then there's, when I'm watching it, it's like, all right, why do you just make, why did her dad and her sisters have to be like a Noah's Ark? Like, do you know what I mean? Every single race. Like, why couldn't you just give her a black family? Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah, because it's like, all right, so did King Triton, is he like a ladies' yeah. man where he's got like <laughs> yeah. different women all over the sea? And it's like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it raises another question, but. You don't have to do that. Like, all right, she's black. Make her dad black. Make her sisters black. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? Or is, yeah, yeah. if she's Chinese, make her, her siblings and her father. Whatever sure. race she is, just just do that, and I'll watch it. You know what I mean? I don't. Mm. You know, but it's like again, you're trying to please everybody, and it's kind of like, and you and yeah. you feel it. I un- and I see you're trying to tick all the boxes and go. We've got this character, that character, and you feel it. Yeah, I understand in the in. I bang on this about, about this a lot. I understand the intent, and I understand. I understand the intent and it, the, the intent is coming from a, a well-meaning place, right? Everybody mm. wants to be represented and stuff. And it isn't, and you know, I, I grew up, you know, you know, I'm, I'm black. I've got, I'm Caribbean and stuff. So mm. I, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, I want to be represented authentic. Right. So if you're going to do it, do it. If you're not, if you're not going to do it and that's not the story you want to tell, that's also fine. Do you know what I mean? But I, yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, again, going back to Spider-Verse, they, they just, very diverse set of characters and it just felt right yeah and you said something interesting about like not hearing the voice of the creator or at least i feel in its characters it it does that really well because it has it has a kind of it has a theme and we'll talk about themes at, at the end where you you've got themes that are explored through different characters and i really like when stories do that so you have like miles who for me, like represents that personal freedom. So he's like, I, I just, I want to be Spider-Man. I want to do what I want to do. But he's going through th- some things. He's going through the, the whole teenager thing, feeling lonely because he of his secret life and trying to please his parents and all that. And then like on the other end, you've got Miguel or Spider-Man 2099, 
who is order, right? He's like total control. This has to happen here and everyone needs to follow that. And it's not just control, but control over everyone else and control over the the multiverse, who's like the leader of the spider society. But then you've got someone like Gwen, who is also like a measure of personal control in that she she doesn't connect with people. She like doesn't reveal herself. She doesn't open herself up. And then you've got an interesting one who is like the spot, who's just like freedom, <laughs> complete freedom, but freedom run wild. Like he can travel through all the multiverse and he's like up to no good. But it's interesting watching it where... Because like the spot is presented as the the villain, although he's not he's not really taken seriously, which <laughs> sucks yeah. for him. But he's <laughs> but the <laughs> the actual antagonist I feel is, is Miguel because he's he's in the way of what Mars wants, and he's the on the opposite end of that spectrum. So to see that dynamic play out, where he's introduced as a you know leader of society and like the quote unquote good guy, but when it comes to like the, the narrative and what Mars wants, he's very much the antagonist in that and is a extreme extension of that authority figure in Mars's life so that whole dynamic so you get to mm. explore this kind of freedom control thing but through different characters through different perspectives as well which I, I really like to I always interested to ask with with characters like were there any characters that resonated with you in particular Ryan for me personally I, I resonate a lot with Peter B Parker <laughs> more of a spotlight in the, in the previous film than in this one but i mean i did enjoy uh peter pavarka <laughs> i'm having trouble saying it too but spider-man india um okay. just for that sort of living fullest energy and living in, in the in the middle eastern culture but yeah the the fact that he was sort of this happy-go-lucky character who's sort of almost got too much luck which <laughs> you know we don't associate with peter parker or any spider-man at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's funny i mean i'm not i don't have any children or anything like that but in a weird way i feel like i resonate more with even though they don't have as much screen time the prowler and what i mean and I, in in terms of in terms of his relationship with his nephew because i have a nephew who's i suppose well he's 15 so i suppose miles is what is miles like 16 17 in this one yeah it's like for years I think it's 15, 16. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the first one, he would have been like, what? 13? Oh, he's 15, 16. I think now he's a, supposed to be a little bit older, but I think in the first film and into the Spider-Verse, I think he's supposed to be 14, 15. Right. I think in this film, he's sort of planning to go off to college. So he's looking at like 16, 17, maybe 18. 17. Yeah. So I feel like, I think that I don't relate to the Proud in terms of like, I, I guess his criminal activities and, you know, murderous intent not that yeah 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 so yeah <laughs> but it's more like i think the way he loves his nephew i think like it's um in spite of everything he's doing and him misbehaving and misbehaving like you know being a criminal for kingpin and you know being a problem that kind of stuff he he definitely you can tell that he loves miles and even even when miles finds out when miles finds out who he is miles is obviously very hurt by then when the prowler finds out that miles is he's like oh like you can he's, he's almost embarrassed do you know what i mean like like mm. what are you doing here like no 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 this is not supposed to be you sort of thing this isn't for you right so i, I so i like that kind of you know at the beginning when he's kind of like you know 
let me show you some graffiti and stuff and against he's an artist as well and he's doing some graffiti and with his nephew and showing them some stuff and trying to school him on certain things so i think that relationship was like oh i i get it so well i'm getting old it's like i'm on the other side of that <laughs> character do you know what yeah. i mean but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah i i think if there's anyone that resonates with me i think it's it's him in a weird way and i know people like him as well like you know like friends who are similar and then even like guys who are a bit older who are similar to that kind of they've got that kind of vibe you know what i mean it's like you look up to them sort of thing so yeah like it feels like if he if he went down a different path and he wasn't a criminal whatever it is like he would actually be a really good mentor to to to, to mark so yeah the character development of uh the spot as well yeah like i i used to work in a comic book shop so i've you know, heard of these obscure characters before, but Spot is pretty much treated as a joke the entire time in the comics. <laughs> like, his whole thing is, you know, he makes a weird little dot portal and he can pick up something from one place and bring it over to another. He's never put in a position where he's, you know, the guy in charge or anything like that. So it's really cool to see this this character who, yeah, he is this trodden like we forget about him he's the guy who gets hit with a bagel in the first film and then we never see him again we barely remember anything about him he's a background so it's cool where that character goes how he develops and you know how he becomes this ultimately terrifying character i've spoken to someone about this like like batman if that character was conceived today it'd be a joke you know what i mean it's like it just wouldn't like a rich guy who dresses up as a bat to kind of (laughs) skip it just wouldn't I think because of when it was like, if you tried to create that character today and you tried to do something serious about it and you went to execs or whoever, <laughs> like, Hey, I've got this great idea for a comic. They would laugh you out of the room. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But I think it's like, it's, it's amazing how, and even like, you know, Batman has these, has had these kind of campy period sort of thing. And it's like, it just takes the right writer and the right time and the right kind of, I guess, hunger for certain types of characters these things develop because you're right it's like even in the film he's seen as a joke and he's seen as a joke and it's almost like like him saying oh you, now you're going to take me seriously sort of thing where it's almost like he's it's almost like self-referential it's like he's almost in a meta way referring to his own comics it's like right for years people have not been taking me seriously as a character now watch what i'm going to do sort of thing it's really funny you said that thing about batman actually because <laughs> They yeah. did that in DC in, I want to say, the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. They had Stan Lee come over to DC for a yeah. few issues. Oh, really? <laughs> and Stan Lee rewrote origin stories for Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, mm. and a bunch of these characters yeah. and did them as little yeah. one-shot issues. And they tanked. Because <laughs> no one no one oh. wants to see these iconic characters messed with to that degree. Yeah, it's just, I think you just accept it for what it is. It's like, yeah, it's... You know, and I think um, again with with the, with the spot, like he's he's actually kind of terrifying. What he can do, and yeah. like I'm like, this guy's gone nuts. Like, what's what? wait? You were terrifying. just you were just trying to get some money out of an ATM machine, and now you're trying to. <laughs> what's your problem? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's amazing. It escalates, right? It escalates quite um quite a bit, you know. So that's why you have to treat your scientists well. Like you, <laughs> you never know. Uh, to treat everybody well, man, you might be working with Spot yeah, right they, now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Is uh, one character I do want to shout. Like it was interesting to me, uh, Hobie, because he was like the, like I said, the, the guy she tells you not to worry about. 
and it was sort of presented as a potential love triangle. But he was actually way more fascinating than that because he was kind of like the moral center. He was this anti-establishment character. But this whole story about Miles and his mum telling him, you know, not everyone's going to be for you and people are going to tell you you don't have a place and all that. And then when he gets to the Spider Society, which on the surface is the place he should fit in, he's then there told that you not not only do you not fit in here, like you are an anomaly. And he then learns to like not be part of the society. But Hobie is the one, just all the way, he's looking out for Miles in a way and he's telling him, like, you know, don't don't get caught up in in this thing. And he's the one who helps him escape and he's like, I'm, yeah. I'm quitting this <laughs> this thing as well. So it's yeah. kind of funny. It's kind of yeah. a joke, back to what Wes was saying, how they managed to get a serious topic, but there's also funny elements in it. But yeah, he's the one who's like, you know, be careful of these people, be careful of the, the system and, and all that. Yeah, no, I, I'd just say, yeah, thinking about it in that, respect actually yeah he he comes out as the most authentic character because he's not going to do something just because you know people Mm. tell him it's the right thing to do he's going to do it because that's what he feels like doing because that's what he thinks is the right thing to do you know something really interesting to think about in terms of like you've got board and miller doing the helming on this and you know they're they're ostensibly they're a pair of white guys but (laughs) but they're allowing the talented people that they're working with to really inform these characters in the storyline and Absolutely. and add flavor to the sauce, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And it is that idea of you can, yeah, you, you can allow others to come into the process. So yes, you, you can have producers and directors from, from different backgrounds. That's definitely a, a positive and needs to happen. But then those that are there already can also allow others into the process and you can still come up with something that is like diverse, is is different, is informed and authentic. And it's just like different ways to uh, to tackle the problem. So yeah, no, I really like how they've uh, addressed that with the, the characters and the the different dimensions that they go to and just getting that authentic representation in a way that doesn't like, yeah, it doesn't crap, clutter the story or uh, it it helps build the story up in in a in a way that doesn't beat people over the head with diversity because that's uh, not always the best way to go about it. Just to wrapping up with like like themes and any any final thoughts. We always like to talk about themes on the podcast, and there's definitely good themes here and that make use of the multiverse as we've we've talked about. And you have this idea of of fate and destiny so miguel like i said he's the sort of order <laughs> the order guy and he's like these canon events they have to happen or at least from his perspective i don't know if it's actually true but these canon events have to happen otherwise everything breaks down and miles you are you're just going to let that happen so we're going to keep you here your your dad's going to die and that's how it has to be but miles doesn't accept it so you have that fight between like what is predetermined for you and what you put in motion and miles is that character like i said he's about that personal freedom so whereas like gwen peter b parker and others just accept that this is it miles doesn't and he's determined to find a way to you know not let it happen so i really like that and then alongside that you have that idea of belonging where miles is in a in a space where everyone's got this well similar powers but he doesn't necessarily belong because of his views on like fate and destiny and he's against that 
that group think essentially and why i didn't know i don't know if you guys are aware of it i had no idea but apparently in in, in the real world in, in there's a whole thing about miles not being considered a real spider-man i didn't know about this but having his like identity questioned and saying like he yeah he's not like a genuine spider-man so i imagine some of that discussion is what has informed the story here but i didn't know about that i don't know if either of you did he's not a real spider-man why well, that's the question. <laughs> I mean, a little bit of that is more to do with the um, how Marvel using Miles as Spider-Man is received by the comic book community and by the, the you know outside of the comic book community. Because, and I don't know how many of of our listeners would know, but when they introduced him, he was a, almost a secondary character to the on arc he very much took mm. it and made it his own and and more recently when they sort of brought mm. all these universes together they labeled his comic as just spider-man there wasn't any like oh he's the black spider-man or he's miles morales spider-man or so you had like peter parker has the amazing spider-man which is the classic spider-man book and has always been since you know the the early 60s and then you got miles morales who is spider-man and you know, as there will be, mm. there's going to be people who disagree with that. They get precious over and stuff. I mean, they had the same thing with uh, Jane Foster becoming Thor, sure. or um, or Sam Wilson taking up the role as Captain mm, America. Yeah. It's such a strange thing to be precious over. I think because it, it's not like you can't have both, right? It's not like well, now we have a Miles Morales to Spider Man. It means that Peter Parker is irrelevant like i actually like <laughs> even yeah, if they yeah, stopped it's like, doing peter parker spider-man stories you still got like 50 60 decades. years of spider-man stories <laughs> with that character if you want more go back and read more <laughs> but, yeah exactly and i mean and i mean they work they work they work really i mean you know when you um i mean i can't wait to play the new game uh, the spider-man 2 the game i was just thinking yeah, yeah. it's like they they bounce off each other you know what i mean it's like they're both both spider-man and it's it just because you've given this character the title of spider-man doesn't mean peter parker is not spider-man it's like you know what what would you call it <laughs> but i i think some people get kind of i think it would be bad if they i remember they there was a talk away about that character making a black spider-man yeah. and making peter parker black and then mm. i think uh stan lee um came under fire because he's like peter parker's not black he's white sort of thing and you got a lot of stick for it and i'm like well the guy's right it's like i don't want peter parker you can't just take peter parker and then just kind of cosmetically change him and now he's like the black spider-man no it's like they create a new character from the ground up and people love him and i think that's the way to do it you know what i mean and, and, and it doesn't diminish from peter parker i actually think it it adds to the overall story right it's like you know like uh what they did with metal gear solid where in the second one, they did a bit of a, a switch and bait sort of thing, bait and switch, where you you play Raiden, and Hideo's reasoning for doing that was, you know, it it gives Snake this kind of legendary status because now you're playing with quotation marks a lesser character. It makes you see Snake in a completely different way, and I feel like uh, yeah. Miles Morales actually makes Peter Parker more great because it's like I've been doing this for years. All right, you got your electric powers, whatever it is, and that, but I'm let me show you the ropes sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? And it, yeah. it, it kind of, 
it kind of makes him like the goat. Do you know what I mean? Like Peter Parker the goat because you've got this kind of young Spider Man that probably doesn't hasn't been through like the a mentor character. Yeah, like. exactly. So I think he actually makes Spider Man, you know, the OG like a stronger character and a better character because you're looking at it through a perspective. You're you're seeing this character go through the things that Peter might have gone gone through, maybe in different ways, mm. but looking up to him and being like, Wow, this guy is wow, he fought the rhino by himself and he had to do this and he had you know what I mean it, it adds to his lore, you know. So um, Yeah. I get that. Really good thing that it gives you is a diversity in terms of the stories you can tell. Because Peter Parker is always going to act a certain way. But Miles yeah. we don't know yet. Or, you know, <laughs> Gwen we don't necessarily yeah. know everything about yet. So, you know, as as you put these different characters in a familiar situation you can see how they would react versus how the heroes of the past have reacted to it. And I do like the idea of these characters as well, like um, getting older, having children, uh, going through this, the, the cycle of life and, you know, maybe eventually even dying off and stuff. I don't think that's a... I understand why, you know, Peter Parker's probably been the same age for like 60, 70 years and stuff because he's like, you know... <laughs> yeah. Oh, him and Bart Simpson. Right, but I do think there's something a lot more interesting, a lot more interesting in just making the characters live a life and experience things, you know? Like, you you, you almost want to kind of grow with the characters. So if you were reading these characters when you were younger, and, you know, you yeah, get... grow with the audience Yeah, you well. grow with the audience and stuff, but it's like, um, yeah. again, I get it from a business perspective. You want to... It's, it's kind of like a golden goose, so, but... Yeah. No, it makes, it makes sense from that perspective. Yeah. It, it just... It may, it makes me laugh in a sad way. I, I feel this way about Star Wars as well, where people there's a certain segment of people that will accept like these wild, like very fictional <laughs> stories and then random things happening. But put a black man in there, uh, or and it was just a black person, black woman as well. Even worse, actually, even black women, and suddenly, yeah, suddenly it's not real. <laughs> and and so, I could I might you literally have aliens and. Yeah, <laughs> what's, I I couldn't. I mean, I, I don't understand how how John Berger went through that, man. But it's like, are you are you joking? It's like what? Yeah, like everything else is acceptable. It's like put, you accepted the aliens and put, put a black guy in space. It's like, wait, what are you doing? It's like, <laughs> yeah, something doesn't feel right here. Yeah. I think people need to chill. I, I think people it. need to chill out, man. And to be honest, I don't want the story told over and over again in the same. I, maybe not. No, let me rephrase that. Maybe the same stories can be told, but when it's told with different people, mm. you have a different perspective. I love District... Uh, is it District yeah. 9? Uh, District the, 9. The Alien. I love that film because it's Alien still, but because it's, it's set in South Africa, you have a completely different perspective of how they would be treated in that environment. You know, if it was... When you have it, you know, Independence Day and you've got the spaceship over, uh, you know, the White House and that kind of stuff, it's a completely different thing. Like they're the same stories, but once you give it to like a different culture, it it transforms how you interact with that story. And I, and I love stuff like that. It's, it makes things yeah. so much more interesting. And it's not again not being diverse for being diverse sake. It's like you that District Nine story, like it could only be told in that way in South Africa. If you did it in another country, if you did it in China, if you did it in Korea, if you did it in uh, you know in the Caribbean, it would be completely different. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I, I love that. No, I agree. So I think, yeah, more of that. And yeah, um, so those are the themes. Actually, one last theme is more is more for the next story because it kind of, it came at the end, but this idea of 
duality i just like the idea of like miles and miles 42 going down different paths and miles being the prowler for you know lack of father figure and i guess being influenced by his uncle who's already on the wrong side of of the law and, and things like that we see the direction he goes in versus our miles who has those parental figures and keeping him on the right track and we see like the the positive capacity he has and, and the negative and i'm interested to see where that goes in the next um the next film whenever <laughs> that comes mm. so final thoughts i mean you know it's, it's a long film and there's a bunch of stuff in there but is there anything that from either of you that we haven't covered that you'd want to give a shout out to one thing for me just interesting to know the the lego spider-man that was done was done by a 14 year old so the and the producers saw like this kids uh spider-verse trailers in lego and then those went viral and then they reached out to him and then found out like oh he's 14 but they put it in the film which i thought was a cool touch that's super oh, for cool. real that's crazy he man he yeah. So they they actually put so he actually animated it in the film. So so what happened was he did a um he had seen the Spider Verse trailer, remade it in Lego, and the uh, the guys behind Spider Verse thought the quality was so good that they gave him the opportunity to animate the Lego spot in that film. I think they actually inserted that after the fact. Film planned out and then went. You know what? This kid's too oh, good. Wow. We need this. That's amazing. That is amazing. There you go. It's yeah. also really good press. So yeah, cool. I love her. I love her and stuff That's like that. So cool. But yeah. Is there anything? Anything else that either of you? On the it was really cool just to see you know all these different different takes on the different universes within that Spider Verse style, developing that aesthetic further. I thought that was really really cool. And like you, as I've got the art book right here, and you know just <laughs> seeing all that diversity just in the art style is is badass. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. I. I I think just personally, I think it's a win for animation. And um, I, I hope we, uh, I think it's starting to happen, but I, I, I'm definitely interested in seeing more mature stories. And, you know, it's, it's funny because me and Tim, again, um, one of the directors at the line, we've been talking about this for years where it's like, why, why aren't they making a, a feature animated Spider-Man film or a feature animated Superman film or, and like you know, just giving it like some seriousness, like you know, not like a you know, something that we adults that we grew up with that we can enjoy stuff. So I, I'm really happy that they're starting to do stuff like that now, and I'm really happy that they're doing it with, you know, again, just giving it that finesse and creativity and stuff. And it's not just the kind of let's render a realistic version of Spider-Man in this world and stuff. From like guys like um again uh, Alberto Miogo who did the uh, Love different robots. He did the witness, and he did the one with the um, the siren um, in the most recent one. He's he's definitely kind of putting a mature spin on animation and stuff. And I think people are starting to kind of wake up to it. And I think it's a, like a really nice thing. And I'm glad. I'm so happy uh, things like Spider Verse exist because it just means that I'm, I'm glad it exists and it, it's making and it's it, and it's successful because it just means that people w- would want to yeah, make that's more. Important. I think if it was a flop. Then people are like, oh, see, animation doesn't work, see? So let's just go back to, I'm glad it's like, uh, you know, kind of breaking the mold and like, you know, um, challenging these kind of preconceived ideas that animation is just for kids. Like there's there's some really nice animation coming out. I watched um, Bad Guys. Oh, I saw the trailer for that that. and I meant to get around to watching that, but it looks really cool. Oh, it's so good. I I love it, man. Like stylistically, it's kind of got like a Lupanis 
Lupin-esque sort of feel to it, but it's so, yeah, some of the sequences and the animation style and, like, it's just oozing style, man. I, I love it so much. It's so good, man. And I think the more these types of films come out, you know, I think the better it is just for the industry, you know? So, um, yeah. No, I, I agree definitely with that. And I think same as when I mentioned um, Kazazimoto, just seeing different animation styles and, and realizing, remembering that, oh yeah, you can do this differently. And I, and even though I guess as, I guess as creators, you don't always want to think about like, oh, it's, and it's making money and it's making this amount, but in the business of animation, that is important because that is what, what gets the people who have the money to make these things go, yeah, let's do more. So it is important that it, it does well. So it's good to see uh, critically and commercially it be successful so we can see more and just that diversity of animation style, the, the team behind it. Yeah, just more of it. So I, I, I yeah, just feel like I want to see more. I want to have my mind blown by just different animation styles. But also, I guess, I mean, it was delayed even before the, the strikes in Hollywood, but take the time needed. It is somewhat frustrating to be left on a cliffhanger and wanting to see what happens next and really wanting to see what happens next, but also recognizing that just the work that's been done here just is unprecedented. I, I feel um, that's, yeah, accurate to say, just give them the time because I, I can't imagine the amount of effort this must take to reduce at feature length. It's, it's incredible. It's a lot of work and I think it's very... It's very bold. I think Sony Animation is actually doing, you know, uh, Sony Imageworks is actually, they're being very, like, bold in the, the kind of choices that they're making um, in, in some of the films that are coming up. And, mm. yeah, I love it. Like, I think, I just think it's great. You know? Really cool as well, because it's something that we've had in the comic book world for so long as well. The comic book industry is also full of really diverse voices, right. both in writing and in artwork. And that's, you know, whether you're an independent yeah. person or you're someone working at Marvel or, or No Brow or one of those bigger publishers, yeah, translating exactly. into feature film and then animation as well. Same. But yeah, so that's the discussion on uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I guess we back when they make the next one and get to finish the story that has been started here. So let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about the animation and the narrative, how well they've handled the, the multiverse Ness of it. Before we wrap for the episode, we want to make sure we give this week's storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. And for today's episode, I wanted to discuss working with two protagonists and I mentioned it briefly in, in the discussion where it's something that didn't quite hit me as I was watching it but came to me like on further examination and as I was putting together the notes this idea of the dual protagonist and it's something that can be effective in storytelling and used to explore like complex narratives so when you feature two central characters you're able to offer fresh perspective and hopefully deepen the emotional connection of your story and also allows you to add layers um, to the plot which i also like and is something that we got in across the spider-verse um, so primarily having two protagonists allows the creator to present multiple points of view and each with distinct characteristics and backgrounds and motivation and it adds depth to the the story so you break away from just like one perspective broaden the narrative in that way 
and there's different ways you can go with it so you can explore themes of like duality and contrast like good versus evil light versus darkness order versus chaos and embody these opposing forces in the different characters so then you can go and explore and i always appreciate when um different perspectives are explored so in across the spider verse i really liked how we see miles at a particular stage in his journey where he's learning what it means to be spider-man and part of that is balancing sort of personal challenges with his web swinging life so he wants to share the secret of who he is his whole self with those close to him but he can't because he fears the consequences and it's these consequences that gwen has already been through when she reveals her true self to her father and that doesn't go well so by using two protagonists in the story we get to use one character to showcase the consequences that another character fears. And in doing so, we get a deeper understanding of the difficulties of wearing the mask. Um, so this is all about like interweaving the individual journeys when both characters share a common goal. Their paths can converge or diverge, create moments of tension and excitement and an effective use of dual protagonist narrative. Um, has that chance for equal development of both characters. So like we said earlier, we get to see Gwen almost as much as, well, maybe not exactly as much as um, Miles, but um, we get a lot. So we're invested emotionally in both of their arcs and both of their arcs do intertwine. In other ways, in other mediums or in other stories, we get to see things like in Naruto, Naruto and Sasuke, lifelong rivals who represent two contrasting paths. So one seeking recognition and acceptance and the other power and vengeance. Even in stories like Rick and Morty, where we get two central characters, the scientist, the mad scientist, the mad drunk scientist, Rick Sanchez, and his uh, naive, good-hearted grandson, Morty, where they just go on interdimensional adventures, speaking of the multiverse. And their relationship as grandfather and grandson adds an emotional layer, but in their contrasting personalities create humor, dramatic moments you see rick's cynical jaded worldview clashing with morty's innocence or at least at one part i feel less innocent now um, and his desire to do the right thing or and keep doing the right thing and it makes it an interesting combination so here are a few things to consider when uh, using dual protagonists in your stories uh, number one distinguish your protagonists so make sure to establish contrasting personalities motivations and worldview for your two protagonists um, to give a bit more depth and complexity. So they should share an external journey, but differ uh, on their personal journeys. And we see that in Spider-Man. We even see that in, to throw out another example, in Toy Story, where Woody and Buzz share the same external objective to escape this, this crazy kid's toy mutilating clutches and return to Andy. But their personalities um, are very different and ex expose different flaws and different internal needs. Number two is don't overdo the conflict between the two. So dual protagonist is not protagonist antagonist or protagonist and mentor. Uh, it's two protagonists. So their relationship can have rivalry in it, but too much and you kind of change the nature of it. So their external goals should be aligned, uh, whatever the personal situation going on. And Last but not least is make sure to take the time to develop both characters. So you've got to balance the screen time or page time or 
video game playing time that each characters have so that the two or we see the two and we're emotionally invested in both of them and avoid a situation where one character overshadows the other and again i feel across the spider-verse does that very well so it offers uh, having dual protagonists offers a different storytelling of opportunity and allows you to delve into different themes and explore them through both characters and that is the tip for this episode as ever let us know what you think if you're doing something similar uh, in your story drop us an email studio77 at mymatter.com or jump in our discord and let us know there before we wrap for the episode let's check in with our guests and find out what they are up to This is the part where we like to get more information on uh, both of our guests. Any breaking news, any news that you can talk about, interesting projects that you can talk about, um, let us know. Uh, Wes, is there anything that you're working on and where can people find you? Um, I'm not working on anything. At, well, I'm actually, um, so um, the line, it's it's our 10-year anniversary this year. So I'm actually like in the process of kind of planning a get together yeah. which will be happening in september but i got the email you got one okay good so we'll be releasing information on it on the on the 21st and releasing tickets for it other than that um i just okay. i think the last thing i well the last thing i did was um for a company called azuki so it was like a hype piece for them where it's kind of like a characters kind of playing with the elements sort of avatar-esque sort of thing but um yeah it's um yeah, it's a pretty cool piece to do. So that's on our Instagram, so you can check it out there. Um, yeah. Other than that, that's it. Okay. More to come. Yeah, yeah. I'm just ta- I'm just taking a, a little break, break from directing at the moment. But yeah. Cool. All right, Ryan. Uh, how about yourself? Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram as Ryan Jenkins Art. That's Jenkins with a Y. Um, I'm currently working on the third issue of a D and D themed comic series, comedy series called Forged with writer michael Eckett. and uh yeah that's going really well we're having a lot of fun with it i'm also redeveloping uh my own character whiskers mcfadden for another outing and those are coming later this year conventions appearances um gonna be at thought bubble up in harrogate in november and hopefully at mcm comic-con in london in october with lots of fan art prints and fun stuff yeah cool We'll see you at Thought Bubble, maybe at MCMs. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> but Thought Bubble. I'll see you there. So yeah, and we'll we'll put links um in, in the show notes to, to both of your websites and social media so people can check you out there and uh yeah, see all the work that you're you're putting out there. It's really good work for both of you. So but yeah, that's it. We're at the end. Thank you both for spending the time with us, for uh giving us your expertise. You both understand animation so i just get to ask you questions and uh take notes so appreciate that um, from both i'm happy to be here pleasure man thank you for having us no i always uh, happy to have you have you on so for those listening if you enjoyed this episode of story x story make sure that you subscribe so you can hear more episodes and also go back to listen to the other episodes that wes and ryan uh, have been on because those were good too take my word for it Um, You can also give us a five-star rating and review because that helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Also sharing links, uh, direct sharing also works. Tell a friend, word of mouth. Uh, So we're story creators and you can discover our manga universe online. All our titles are available at our online store, including the latest release, Serious Suit of Fog, 
and we have our next release that we're working on with Tazzy's origin story. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and don't forget, you can join our Discord today and get ready for our new Studio 77 membership that is coming later in the year. Uh, all the video content that we're uh, producing off uh, Twitch, we're going to keep there so you can get access to it. Also, some uh, digital comic uh, and illustration content uh, and special access to events uh, that we're working on over the year. So lots to come there. Our Do I Look Like a Game Art video game representation campaign is live and now a yearly initiative for diversity. We've spoken a lot about diversity today, diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. So we have a bunch of plans. We've got events uh, coming up. We've got appearances at different conventions coming up. So head to looklikeagamer.com and you can see all the information there. As for the podcast, we are back recording. So we had previous uh, rewind episodes over July. We're now back recording new episodes, still releasing new episodes on Thursdays. Those include creative interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. And you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymanner.com. And our website with links to subscribe is mymanner.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe. And uh, remember, you don't need to watch the trailer for Story X Story. Just tune in and be surprised on the journey. So we'll uh, see you again next time. Take care, everyone.